Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. Well, you all remember when you heard a speaker, whether it was for a business conference, heck, even a pastor in a church, what have you. The ones you remember are the ones that were funny. And we got somebody who has taken those great skills and put those together. Greg Schwim, really one of the very best out there. He's a motivational corporate comedian. And I think that's really cool. Greg, do you see the people when they hear you're going to go up and speak and then they realize, hey, they're laughing and so forth. Suddenly they kind of sit back and tend to enjoy themselves and not get all uptight and worry about uh, being bored or what have you. Absolutely. That's a great observation. And, and uh, it's, it's one of the reasons that doing corporate events is so gratifying for me because typically corporate meetings are very serious in tone. And to some extent, they should be. I mean, a lot of money is spent so people can come out and learn and network and, and go back and be better salespeople or whatever. But um, so I think that I think that the audiences, when they come out to these events, they don't expect humor. Uh, I mean, you know, they might get told a funny joke at a bar at happy hour or something, but they just don't expect to have a speaker come out and make them laugh. And uh, I think it's a real pleasant surprise. And, and it does it does cause people, I think, to put their phones down and to get off of their devices and to just say, hey, there's no reason we can't have some fun at this event. And this is a cool company because they hired that guy. I think it just makes them relax. And I want to talk about how you got this. So we're going to go into the how this all works, but how you got there, mm-hmm. and it makes perfect sense to me. You were going to be a journalist, right? I mean, you, you were for a while in uh, in Florida, as I recall. Correct. Yeah, I was a journalist. I, I majored in journalism. I went to Northwestern University, a very good journalism school. I always thought that's what I was supposed to do because my parents paid for my degree. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, and I, I did, but I, I've been doing stand-up since I was 16, dabbling in it. And um, it was just always a hobby. And then when I moved to Florida, uh, the the comedy club boom had just started. And there was lots and lots of clubs and lots of places where I could apply my craft, which at the time was just a hobby. It was just a fun thing to do. And um, But little by little, I realized I liked doing that more than being a journalist, particularly because I was – I. I was covering a lot of very unfunny topics, uh, a lot of you know crime, and right. you cover crime in South Florida. That's a pretty heavy. Uh, that's a pretty heavy beat right there, and um, I, I just thought I, I would rather make people laugh, and 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 the more stage time was available, the more places I could do it. So eventually, I just decided, okay, I'm I'm single, and I I might as well. I, I don't want to look back and say, I wish I'd done this. Um, I mean, my journalism career was going well. I was I, I transitioned from newspaper to television reporting. I was on TV every night, and um, but I thought I, I need to try this, so I did, and I moved back to Chicago, which is where I'm from, because I wanted to be based in the big city. But I didn't. Want, I knew I wasn't ready for New York or LA, and that's how I started doing stand up, and that was 33 years ago. <laughs> so um, 
That's but but I was not a corporate comic at that time. I right. was just a club comic. Well, I mean, what, first of all, was the, the laughter kind of the adrenaline rush that you really wanted? To, I mean, that made everything worthwhile. Hearing people laugh. Oh yeah, absolutely, and and especially because uh, it, I also learned that they people really like to laugh at things they could relate to. Like I I did a lot of material when I was living in South Florida about living in South Florida, about, you know, the condo commandos and the, those kinds of the people and the, the driving. And I, I noticed people really were gravitating towards that kind of material. And it was very good lesson to kind of write for your audience, which really helped me a lot when I made that transition to corporate work. Um, but yeah, the, 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 I mean, there is no, there is no adrenaline rush. I think like being on stage and, um, as a comedian and having people laugh at you, I, I, I wish everybody could experience that. The work as a journalist, particularly as a broadcast journalist had to help too, because you're on, you, you've got to grab people right away. There's certain skills that come from that, that I would think would adapt well. And then, then you know, of course you still got to make them laugh, which you don't have to do yeah. on the other, but at least yeah. you got kind of that setup and so forth. I agree, especially being a TV journalist, because you have to think on your feet. You know, you I, I was doing a lot of uh, uh, live shots uh, in Florida. So, you know, that's the kind where they actually now we go to Greg Schwem, who's outside the Kennedy Space Center. Greg Schwem who's outside the uh, the scene of the school board meeting. Or a lot of times it was Greg Schwem outside something I'd rather not talk about. Uh, you know, again, that goes back to the crime beat. But but yes. So learning to uh, to, to to be able to improvise when necessary and to be able to also, it's like, okay, you're on. Everybody's watching you. And that is a skill that uh, I brought with me when it was time to do comedy full time. So now mm-hmm. you take this and you blend it in with business and so forth. Uh, was that kind of a natural thing? Because I, I understand somebody told you like, wow, that's great. You wish you'd come down to the office and share with that just seems to make all the sense in the world because people, that's where we, we spend all our time is at work and so forth. We want right. to laugh about that. Exactly. And there were actually like two things that really made me transition into corporate events. One was kind of just what you said. I started doing a lot of material in my nightclub act about computers because if you remember – Steve, back in the, like the mid-90s, that was like the heyday of Microsoft and Windows 95. And it really was when all of a sudden the whole world became computerized, yet no one told us how to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden every office had a computer, every, every employee had a computer, and we were all just kind of flying blind learning how to work it. And I was writing a lot of material about that. Even though I didn't work in an office, I too had a computer, and I was going through the same things. And I would tell these jokes about, you know, being on hold with tech support and, and how to, uh, you know, how to operate the, the most the, the most basic stuff of computers. And and those were that was getting the most laughs in my nightclub act. And, yes, people were coming up to me and saying, hey, we're having a, you know, a, an event. We're having an offsite meeting. We're having a golf outing. If you come down and do, you know, you yeah, I felt like you were talking about us. So that was one thing. The other thing was obviously being a comic in a big city and starting out, you're not making a lot of money. And I, I hooked up with a, a Chicago-based company that did live trade show presentations. And I mean, you being in Vegas, you know, there's, there's probably six trade shows going on right now outside your window. And um, these were the kind of where companies would hire like an actor to talk about their product for 
eight minutes, two times an hour. And you, if you walk trade show floors, you, you'll see those, those yeah. companies sometimes and those actors. And I hooked up with this company and was writing presentations for them. And then I was, I asked if I could be the spokesperson for them. And they're like, sure. I, I, I thought it was natural. Like as long as I'm writing it, who could, who could say it better than me? And, and I found that a lot of companies did want to include a little bit of humor in there. So I learned about how to write. First of all, I heard, I learned how to make very technical dry topics funny. And I also, as a presenter, learned how to hook a business audience very quickly and kind of riff with them. And, and, and companies were okay with that. They're like, as long as you get the message out, uh, as long as you talk about the product, if you want to go off script a little bit, you know, just don't, don't tick anybody off, you know, keep it clean, keep it above board. But, and those two things kind of together is when I realized, okay, there's a market for being funny in the corporate world. You know what's amazing, though, Greg, is I read about how you go about this. You do a lot of work. I mean, people think everybody, like a good comic, has a regular stick. They go through it and so forth. That works, and maybe in a club, you'll work in different places. When you go into a company, though, you do a lot of research before, and that kind of makes sense because it's only really funny is if they know that you get their particular situation, yeah. not just a technology in general, but how that affects them. Right. And that goes back to what I was talking about, about when I first started out in Florida. And I found that the funniest material that I was doing was material about the audience as far as living in Florida. They were living in this kind of weird paradise. And it's the same thing. I, I, I obviously I could never, I don't think I could ever do what I do without the internet because I just get on a company website and I start digging and I start, I mean, I, I find out what they do, what division they work for. And then I kind of start digging and I tend to find things that they probably don't think is funny. But if I, if an outsider says it back to them, it, it sounds funny. And I do believe that people like to laugh at what they do as long as, but here's another thing, Stephen, this is why there's so few comedians that do corporate events because a lot of them make this mistake and they never ever uh, recover from it. There's a very fine line between having fun with a corporate audience and mocking them or belittling them or making it seem like what they do is stupid. And the minute you cross that line, you will never get them back. Um, you know, I mean, I, 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 corporate audiences, they, they, companies, big, I've done big companies that, you know, I've done IBM and I've done Cisco and I've done AT&T and they're fine with laughing at what they do. But you also have to know that this is, this is what they do. This is their life's work. So if you start making it seem like what they do is not relevant, uh, they're, they're going to take offense to that. And rightfully so they should. And, and a lot of comics, they, they come off stage, they try to corporate event and they, they, they're a little too, they, they step over that line and then they come off and they're like, well, those, those people weren't, you know, they didn't get it or they didn't get me or I don't know why they hated me so much. Well, uh, you know, I, I can answer that for you really quickly. <laughs> so um, it's not them, it's you. Well, is it more difficult to do like some company, amalgamated research, some company that you have no idea about, or a company like McDonald's, which you've done, where they've got a whole series of advertisements and so forth. You can play off those. Everybody knows what's on a menu there. Is, yeah. So is it is it more challenging to go after a company that, by the name, you have no clue what they even do? 
Yeah. You know, you'd think it'd be that way, but for me, it works absolutely in the reverse. Um, I love it. I, I think the more complicated it is and the less I know about it, the easier it is because, you know, like, and I have done shows for McDonald's and, um, I, I sometimes feel like when I'm too close to the product, I mean, obviously there's, there's ways to go. There's, there's material I can do about going into McDonald's and so forth. But, but you have, again, you have to be careful because if you start doing your own experience with things, you also run that risk of, you know, you don't want to say, well, I went into McDonald's and oh, you know, how long does it take to make four chicken nuggets? You know, that, that there yeah. you cross the line. Um, but if I go, if I do a show for a company that makes, you know, widgets for NASA and I have no clue, then I can kind of be the, and this is kind of the persona that I try to adapt in my shows. I'm kind of that, I'm not quite a, the, I'm not quite the dumb guy. I'm the inquisitive guy. I'm like, okay, you have to explain. I found this on your website. What exactly does this mean? <laughs> you know, what yeah. is 84 to the seventh power divided by 18 and it's three, you know, and, and now you can get it this month alone for 1099. Yeah. You know, what is Because, because yeah. I was thinking maybe I should order three of these, you know, that kind of stuff. So you're, you're not really, you're, you're not mocking them. You're just basically taking a twist on something that you don't understand and making it funny. And then you're showing them this really is kind of ridiculous <laughs> when you think about it. But, you know, you talk research, but uh, you mentioned the Internet and people yeah. are saying, well, I can do that. But you do more than that. First of all, that's very difficult to do. Let's, let's say right out there to find funny stuff like what you're talking about. That's really important. But also, I understand you make phone calls to, like, some of the company executives and so forth and even go out and look around. And I guess there's a lot of a lot of stuff that you could find, like maybe on an, on an actual visit, that you'd never get just looking at an Internet site. Oh, yeah. I mean, I always if I I mean, obviously, COVID has played havoc with that. COVID's played havoc right. with a lot of things in my business. But if it's a if it's a, I mean, I, I, you know, can I fly across the country for a meeting and fly back? Probably not. But like I live in Chicago. So if it's a Chicago based company, yes, I do find that there's an awful lot that I can get about a lot of information that I cannot get over the phone. And sometimes it's just you know, like I remember going into a company once and they had they had all these motivational slogans slapped all over the walls. And there was and I just I said, do you mind if I if you mind if I take pictures of these? And they're like, sure. They had no idea. You know, like, why, why would he be taking pictures of, you know, we only know one direction forward? You know, why would he take pictures of that? But but there was one that was it was like a, a pie chart. <laughs> it was like sectioned off and so forth. So I took Four, I took pictures of like all the slogans and then I stuck that one there and I said, and then I, I when I did the show, I, I use visuals in my show too. That's another form of research I do. I use PowerPoint and Keynote and so forth. So I, I put these up and I said, you know, wow, it's, it's very motivating to walk into your office and, you know, boom, you know, we only know one direction, forward, boom, success doesn't come to you. You go to it. And then I put up the pie chart and I said, we have no idea what this one means. And it got a huge laugh because they don't have any idea what the hell it means. Office culture, I think, is funny. Um, and I think it should be. It's getting harder to these days, but I think office culture should be laughed at just a little bit. And again, it goes back to what you were saying is people spend so much time at work 
And they're around this stuff all the time. And sometimes it just takes somebody like me from the outside to, to, to just look at it a little bit differently. And I think that's why companies and associations and the, the kind of groups that I work for really appreciate that. You do cover a few things that kind of apply almost everywhere in the business world. And I wanted to talk with you about a couple. One of the tedious business meetings, we we're just talking about, you know, oh, wow, this guy's funny, thank God. But there are some parts of a job that you have to go to these meetings and you look at it on your planner, which is annoying to begin with, and you think, oh. Right. And a lot of times it can be an, an hour from hell. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and, and no one wants to be there, but nobody says it. And, you know, and I always... I've always said, you know, I say what you people wish you could say, or I, I, I get paid to say what you're thinking. And uh, again, another <laughs> kind of advantage I have. Um, but, and, and, and believe it or not, that's one of the things where COVID has really, um, has really helped me write a lot of material because, you know, we all thought in-person meetings were bad. <laughs> Virtual meetings are worse. I think, and I think most people would agree with that. I mean, you can sit there and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I can take a meeting in my pajamas and my, with my yogurt and my coffee and I don't have to wear pants and so forth, but you're still looking at a computer all day long and then you log off and then you're looking at another bunch of boxes and then you log off and you're looking at another bunch of boxes <laughs> and that's how you spend your day. And that to me is, again, it, the, the work environment has changed, but why not sort of call it out for what it is? And what it is is just weird, and weird is funny as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and how do you deal with smartphones? Because they're everywhere, and everybody looks at yeah. them. It doesn't matter what business you're talking to. Yeah, I. you know what? I, it used to – it's like everything else. It used to bother me, but I realized I was fighting a losing battle. It's kind of like – you know, you, you don't hear people – you know, it, it's kind of like on the plane. You know, you can say, okay, please silence your cell phones or please turn them off or please put them in airplane. Nobody's doing it. Uh, you know, it used to be. And, and I think what I said, and I just know that that is, unfortunately, I don't care how funny anybody is. Um, where I am working, I, I, first of all, I have to accept the fact that for the most part, I am working in the middle of somebody's workday. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of my shows are in the morning. A lot of my shows are at lunch. Um, they all take place, uh, most of them during the week. So I, I have to respect that or just know, but I, I, I kind of very subtly say, you know, this is a chance for you to just do something that you probably don't do, uh, enough at work. And that is to laugh, but you can't do that if you're on your phone. So I'm just going to ask you to please, you know, put your phones down, close your laptops, do whatever, and just enjoy these next 45 minutes or hour or whatever. That's all I can do. And, and surprisingly, a lot of people will do that. It, it just, mm. someone has to tell them. That's right. That's right. One last thing on that. And then I want to talk about some of the other stuff you do, but you also talk a lot about the American Girl Doll Company. Okay, you got to explain. <laughs> what I read that, and I go, I, I read it two or three times. I, I must be reading this wrong. So tell me what the fascination <laughs> is. Well, I have two daughters, and they both, at one point in their lives, they're growing now, but they were very into this American Girl Doll Company. And I always had to... Uh, go down, you know, that was a big field trip for the girls and a big, big treat to go down to the store on Michigan Avenue and pick out a doll or an outfit or something. And I, I would 
again, it, you know, as a comedian, it's kind of my job to make fun of everything or to look at something with a very, um, can I make fun of this eye? Right. And I was fascinated by this whole concept that these dolls, which were really expensive, were just flying off the shelves <laughs> and how this company had turned buying a doll into an event, you know, not just a, a yeah. toy. This was an event. And I thought, well, there's something here that I could translate to the business world. And what I thought was all they're doing, I think I said it to my wife on the way home, I go, all they're doing is they just, they're just looking at an old product in a new way. That's all they've done. Because uh, they're still, at the end of the day, they're still selling dolls. Right. And um, I thought, that's kind of what, how business succeeds. You know, you, you, there's not necessarily a lot of new ideas, it's how you spin it. And so I thought, Maybe I could bring my experience with the American Girl doll to the stage. And first I could just complain about the whole thing and, and make jokes about me as a dad being in the American Girl doll store. But then say, let me show you why they are so successful because they've looked at a doll in a new way. And that is become sort of my standard closing bit. Now, American Girl dolls not as successful as they used to be. Um, kids just aren't playing with dolls as much, you know, right, the, the right. phone has taken over, but there's still enough people in the audience. It's still going strong enough. And what I find, I, no bit resonates with an audience like this bit, because I, I, I almost all of the audience, I can just tell dads, uh, you know, I mean, people, they, they're, they're workers, they're, they're employees, but they're, they're family people in my audience. So, the dads oh, yeah. love it because they've been in my situation and the moms love it because they realize, yeah, he's kind of talking about me. And yes, I was a little bit out of control when yeah. I accompanied my daughter to the American Girl doll store. So I feel like it's one of the most relatable bits that I do. And it's fun. And I bring pictures of my kids who we took when they were shopping at the American Girl doll store. So that hits it, that brings it home as well. You know, it is true. I, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about Build the Bear. And the thing I remember right. about that was everything costs money. Well, you can get this, everything. And you start, oh my God, this is good. I'm going to have to have a loan to get out of here. Where's the financial totally. aid guy? Yes. <laughs> That's one of my jokes in the American Girl doll bit, as I say. I say the, the the clerk said to me, she said, you know, because um, the doll we bought was like Sarah. And she said, Sarah's writing outfit is on special this month. And I said, well, she's not going to get the riding outfit because I know we can't afford the horse that no doubt comes with it. So, yeah, it's true, uh, you know? Yes. Yeah, Build-A-Bear's right, right up there with American Girl Down. Yeah, a la carte, everything. Yeah. Oh, you want to stuff the bear? Well, okay. <laughs> we have three levels of stuffing, sir. Yeah. Well, you know, one other thing about Greg's show that I have to share with everybody is it, it's kind of like Jerry Seinfeld in the sense that you know you're not going to get any profanity or any politically incorrect stuff. And, and I think that's particularly important because, especially in today's climate, I just think there's so much of that. It's a real relief to avoid that. I, I think it's yeah. – and you're in a business thing. You're representing that company. You know, they've invited you in. You just can't oh, yeah. do that, right? I mean, it's just it's exactly. unacceptable. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't do anybody any good. It obviously looks bad for the company, but word will get around <laughs> if I if I do cross over that line. Um, and uh, 
You know, one of the reasons I was able to transition easily to corporate events is because even in my nightclub act, I was always a clean comedian. I mean, nobody, nobody's ever said to me, you can't work here because you're too clean. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of comics, friends of mine who have been told you can't work here because you're too dirty. And now that brings up a point, though. I mean, you know, in, in today's society, we, you know, we have cancel culture and everybody's offended by, you know, every joke. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of Steve Harvey. He, his comedy just doesn't really do it for me. Yeah. But he, I was reading an interview with him about a month ago, and he was saying about why he can't do stand-up anymore. And he said, he said, uh, I can't do it, he says, because no matter what you say, somebody is going to get their feelings hurt. And he says, what people don't understand about comedians is not – is we have to make jokes about people. He says, we can't just make jokes about puppies and about bushes. He goes, yeah. people are what's funny. And eventually we're going to have to joke about people. And that is, seems to be becoming more and more. No, you can't joke about, you know, you're, you're too close to, that joke was too close to me. And I, me, just me, am now bothered by it. Therefore, you can't do that. And I, and I really think people need to stop and um, kind of reevaluate that a little bit because uh, I believe with the pandemic and so forth, you really are starting to see the value of humor because people were not allowed to go out and experience it. And I appreciate the fact you do the no profanity material because, quite frankly, I think it's a little too easy and it's a crutch. And I hear I've had yeah. some comedians say, "Well, you know, Richard Pryor." Well, okay, you're not Richard Pryor, you know, and not everybody right. has to be Richard Pryor. I can appreciate mm -hmm. that. I think sometimes. a lot of comedians, when they're starting out, they swear on stage out of nerves. Mm -hmm. And I will say, profanity does get laughs. Um, if you if you're an open micer and you have a joke. And you tried at the eight o'clock show, and the joke is, you know, bump a bump a bump a bump, and then at the ten o'clock show, it's bump a bump a bump a blank bump. Yeah, that one will probably get a bigger laugh. I don't ask me why. Uh, audiences are kind of trained to laugh at profanity because they think, oh, that was the funny part. And and I think new comics, they're like, oh, so that's the secret. I just have to swear, and I'll get laughs. And some people will never get over that. And like you said. The other thing that I see right now is not just profanity. I see comic after comic bringing notes onto onto the stage, even to do five minutes. I don't get that. I don't either. I don't wow. get that at all. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, you want to do this for a living, but you're saying you can't memorize five minutes, which you've had all day to rehearse. I, you know, and, and some people have said, well, Chappelle brings notes on stage. Okay, but... A, you're not Chappelle. Right. <laughs> Chappelle can do whatever he wants. And also, I saw Chappelle at the Laugh Factory years ago before a lot of people knew who he was. And guess what? He didn't bring notes on stage. He, yeah. he didn't. So, you know, wait until you're at that level. Then you can do whatever the heck you want. But try and memorize five minutes. And that was kind of the beauty of uh, some of these real small comedy clubs where you could go down there and you could try stuff out. Not everything's going to work. Yeah. But you got to try it out, right? So then right. that's how you sharpen. Exactly. You know, is that something too? Of course, like we mentioned before, your stuff is more intricate because you're getting into these companies and so forth. But just in general, is it always uh, you always trying to polish things? Is it something you're constantly working? Because I assume you know you don't have set bits and that's it. It's always evolving. It is. It is. And and I will say one thing: um, corporate events are not the ideal location to try out new material. Right. Um, 
I, I feel like you, you don't have one of the reasons I think is when people go to a comedy club, they, they are, uh, expecting to see comedy. They are uh, in tune for that. That's what they decided to do that evening. I walk in here, I'm supposed to laugh. What we talked about earlier is a lot of times when I walk on stage, people don't know. Sometimes they don't even know that there's, that I'm going to be a funny guy. You know, I, I've introduced as, you know, just a speaker or a humor speaker or something like, okay, so there might be some little chuckles here and there. Um, so they're not really in a, in a humor mood per se. And, um, and, and that's why I have to really kind of bang them with my double A stuff a, a lot of times. But at the same time, I, like you said, I am always looking for those new bits that, um, that really resonate with audiences. Also, is there a flow to what you do? By that, I mean, do you like to try to hit them hard in the beginning, ease them through, and then hit them hard at the end, no. or you know, or does it just does it kind of organically happen, and you, you you kind of determine that by kind of how the response is and so forth? Right. Well, there is a flow. Certainly, the beginning. Uh, we talk about the customization. I want it to be known very early on that I did homework on them. I, I want them, I want to say something to them, whether it's I put up a, a screenshot of their website, something that lets them know that this is not a canned presentation, that I haven't just been doing the same old thing, which a lot of speakers do, unfortunately, you know, that this is something that I took the time to find out about them. And I want to, I want to establish that in the first like five minutes, um, and, you know, I, it might make a, I might make a reference to their agenda and the crazy, complicated, dry-sounding breakout sessions that they're going to have. Um, you know, just something. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It just has to be something to let them know, okay, this, this, guy, this guy gets it, you know, and, and therefore that will make them pay attention. So we, we hit them hard with that. I established kind of who I am. And... Um, I usually say I kind of divide my show into thirds. Like the first third is I make jokes about the, the event itself. Um, you know, we're all here in Las Vegas because we all want to learn about this. And here's how you all got here. And, you know, hey, we're back doing live events now. So we've been reintroduced to stuff we took for granted, like the mini bar in your, you know, uh, you know how many people have just emptied the mini bar just because it's been two years since you were able to say, I want to empty the mini, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, the second bit, the second third is probably a little more of the really the customized stuff. I kind of really kind of get into what they do and try and also also talk about why it's important to for their particular industry to laugh. Okay, kind of give examples, and then the last third is more. Here's what you can take away. You know, I, now I've just now I've just done something that you didn't think was possible, and that is I've made you laugh at your business. Now, what are you going to do with that? You know, you, how are you going to move it forward? And you know, maybe when you go back, I'm not going to tell you how to sell more product because that's not what I do. And um, but I can tell you, you know, how to have more fun doing it, and how to maybe use humor. You know, and next time you're stuck on an idea, think about incorporating humor. And I give a few examples, and then I say, and then I usually end with the American Girl Dial bit, where I talk about all of these things you're doing, and the reason you're here out at the MGM Grand anyway for the next four days is you're all trying to look at a new way to do an old thing. 
How do we get a hold of you? Because I think there's a lot of companies that are hearing that going, we'd love to get this guy on. How do we get a hold of you, and how do we follow yeah, your career? Yeah, I mean, you know, the best way is just gregschwem.com. So that's G-R-E-G-S-C-H-W-E-M.com. And, um, you know, people will say, okay, but, what, you know, can we see you? And, yeah, there's plenty of links on there as to, you know, links to my YouTube channel. There's video of me in a variety of situations, whether it's doing keynotes, whether it's hosting, I do, a, especially in Vegas, I do a lot of emceeing of multi-day events, which are fun. And um, uh, that's the best way. And uh, I, I'm excited that COVID seems to, again, knock wood, but uh, yeah. it seems to be uh, dissipating a little bit and live events are on the rebound as they should be. And Vegas seems to be alive and well. 